and welcome to the Next Report podcast covering Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. I'm your host, Thomas Holbrook II, and you're probably wondering why I said host. These things tend to happen, especially when you least expect it. Um, there have been creative differences, and for that reason, the decision was made for um, Mitchell, Zach, and myself to kind of you know, go our own separate directions. And it reminds me of, for some reason, just it just reminds me of kind of what happens if some freak accident happens at a circus, or kind of what happened at a wrestling event in Kansas City, in which a one of the um, performers, athletes, if you will, Owen Hart, was going to descend from the rafters only for the equipment and the harness to break, and he fell into the ring from a significant distance and died soon after. And the question comes up, well, what do you do in a situation like this? Uh, the only thing you can do, uh, look forward and keep going. The show must go on. Good, bad, or indifferent, the show must go on. And I do thank Zach and Mitchell for everything they've contributed to this podcast. It's it's greatly appreciated, and I've learned some new things from both of them because, you know, of all of this. And that's the important part of it all, is learning new things and adjusting to life's curveball, so to speak. So, anyway, for a while it'll probably be just me and Kate and let somebody else comes along and says, hey, can I have a piece of this action as well? Um, there's going to be some changes to the website in coming weeks because I'm getting a bit tired of E107. I loved it when I figured out how to use it a long time ago, but right now I'm figuring out why I abandoned it, not just because of spam bots either, because after posting certain things for so long, the editor for writing up news updates and what have you, it, it tends to butcher some HTML coding. And if it's too butchered, when you click post news, you get a blank page. So, <laughs> so um, it's time to change gears again, but uh, that won't happen for a little while. So uh, right now, I am wanting to finish out the series on civil liberties and militarization of the police. Because one of the things that I've noticed is when it comes to uh, issues like this, what tends to happen is, you know, it may start in isolated areas on a local level, but there are times where a lot of this stuff trickles down from the national level, from the federal level from the federal government all the way to your local municipalities. And it's an unfortunate reality. It's a double-edged sword. So say you have you know, a positive role model, so to speak, in some of the highest offices in the land, and they have, they have a positive you know, you know, outlook on life or what have you. They're a good influence. And contrary to popular belief, trickle-down does exist just not in the way that most people would think. Um, in this case, the good news is, if 
high up. They're persons of great influence. They contribute positively to society. They're a pillar of their community, what have you. It will trickle down. It won't hit everybody, but it'll trickle down, and, and everybody will benefit to an extent. Unfortunately, here's the bad news. When it's really bad on the federal level, it always finds a way to trickle its way down to the local level. And therein lies the problem. The first episode in this three-part series, we talked about leaking of information from Snowden and Manning. And one of the reasons, you know, touching upon this and why that was very important is really simple. When certain officials at the highest echelons of government on the national level are operating in such secrecy and certain parts, especially the executive branch, is operating at such secrecy and is abusing that power, the question comes up, when is it appropriate to break certain rules in order for the public to know what's going on? And that is a question that's been debated back and forth. Well, this person could have endangered lives by doing this. And we go back and forth on discussions a lot. A lot, you know, a lot of people tend to do that. And they, you know, fight over the symptoms, I feel, instead of going to the root cause, which is, in my view, foreign policy. And how we're, we as a country are basically representing ourselves in other countries. But that's something that's a bit beyond the scope of, of this particular episode. In the previous episode, um, Tor and other related technologies was mentioned to keep privacy. There's a an overall theme here of civil liberties, the right to know and the right to be left alone. And now we're coming full circle because, again, when something happens at the highest levels, it always manages to trickle its way down to local municipalities. And it's an unfortunate reality. I'm going to relay some personal stories to all of you. Because a lot of people, it's easy to say, oh, well, this initiative is necessary to protect people. This, that initiative is it, it saves lives, etc., etc., so on and so forth. H how many of you, you know, watched Andy Griffin, the Andy Griffin Show? I, I I watched it when I was growing up, and and the and the main character was you know this do-gooder gooder type of person, and of course it made fun of you know certain bumbling cops, you know Barney Five, who was allowed one bullet, but <laughs> but there were some good lessons from that show that, you know, taught, in a sense, the Constitution to a degree. Well, we're not seeing so much of that anymore. Um, what we're running into is this perception that when you see a cop, you don't feel safe around them. I've felt that a couple of times. And here, here's a couple personal stories of mine. When I was a student at UCM, um, the, back then it was, you know, I started there... Uh, 2003, fall of 2003, it was known as Central Missouri State University. A couple of years later, they would change the name of it to make it sound more, you know, palpable to those who are just, who are looking 
for just a university, not a state university. To me, it just didn't make that much of a difference, but then again, it was the closest, most convenient college to go to at the time because of where I was living, which was in Leeton, which was 13 miles south. Anyway, many times I would go to the computer store on campus just to mess around with the display models that they had, just to see what what the specs were and everything else. I'd like I liked to compare and contrast. It was I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was fun. I also considered purchases based upon what I was able to look at. This was a time when Windows Vista had been out for a little while and and people had just discovered a certain key combination that would cause the computer to crash. Uh, it was a shortcut key to open up Windows Explorer, the file manager. And if you held that key combination down in XP, eventually there would be what's called a memory error handler, and it would say, hey, uh, you need to close some windows, you're out of memory. Vista did not initially handle this properly, and the whole system would just blank out and crash. So I'm relaying this to the person behind the counter, and I, you know... Should have sensed that something was wrong, but me being the naive individual I was at the time, and to an extent I'm naive today, unfortunately, but that's who I am. He readily agreed with me that Vista was horrible, where in the past he had not. That should have signaled to me that he was not acting like his usual self, the person behind the counter who's, you know, shy, reserved, but pretty friendly. And when I went to you know, take a look at the one of the desktop systems because, again, I kept thinking to myself, I may make a purchase of an entire system from this store someday. I've purchased, you know, made some sizable purchases from there in the past, so naturally I wanted to compare and contrast again. What happens next? An officer from Campus Public Safety, uniform and all, asks to see my ID. Um, he pulls me out, well, he motions me outside the store, and he runs the information off my driver's license to make sure that there was nothing else that had come up. Um, he's like, do you know a lot about computers? And I explained I'm more of an intermediate person. I don't know most of the super-duper advanced stuff. And I did not take kindly to being treated like a criminal at irritated me. I vented on a form for a local campus organization that I was a part of. Others basically agreed and said, uh, no, this is, this is horrible. And for those of you who don't understand why, you know, why there have been those like Mitchell who have referred to UCM as the evil empire, you're about to find out in five seconds. When I actually went to the campus advocate to complain and say, hey, I get it, I can be annoying, but all they had to do is say, hey, man, could you not mess with that stuff? Could you, you know, keep your hands off or something like that? Because I understood um, at the time that I am an annoying person at times. I get that. And I, and I understand that. I may not have been happy, but... It would have been much better than to have somebody with a badge walk up to me because I didn't feel safe, didn't feel 
to threaten, but I did not feel safe. And and I'm sorry, me messing around with a demo machine in a computer store is not physically endangering somebody else's life. So I get sent to this other bureaucrat. And I make you know an appointment is made. I meet them, and I ex- I talk to them. And one of the questions they ask basically summed it up for me. Do you always passive-aggressively push back or something like that? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, what? Are you serious? You know, we we have our meeting, we talk, and, and the person's like, yeah, just, just be sure to put stuff back, you know, where they belong, and that sort of thing. It, it's just that some people, when they see me do things that they don't understand, you know, there's that fear, oh, he must be a, some sort of hacker, which people don't understand um, hackers at all sometimes, and it's just irritating as all that out. But, you know, people fear what they do not understand. So that, that, that kind of, I didn't appreciate that one. Uh, another personal story, this was when I was, you know, still relatively new to working graveyard shift in retail. So, I, naturally, I'm sl- trying to sleep during the day so I have enough rest so I can go in at night and be awake and aware, right? I lived out in Valley View, which is just outside of Warrensburg, going south on Missouri 13. Um, like, say you're traveling into Warrensburg, Missouri 13 merges into McGuire Street. So, for those unfamiliar with the Warrensburg area. Anyway, you know, I, li- you know, I, I didn't live in the cruddy yellow buildings, I lived in the crappy gray fourplex behind the yellow apartments, (laughs) in which one of the corners was sinking into the ground slowly but surely, which got interesting when it rained. Ah, the memories. So I'm trying to get some sleep, boom, boom, boom on the door, um, wanting to know who the heck this is. It was people from the sheriff's department. Uh, one of the little shops by the variety center had apparently been robbed. And there was snow on the ground at the time. There were tracks coming in front of our door, meaning they were going to question us. Now, if I had been a little bit braver back then, I would have just looked at the detective and said, Look, sir. You do not need to be using foul language. There is a six-year-old girl living in the apartment upstairs with her mother who does not need to be hearing that kind of language. And two, if you really are concerned with catching whoever's doing wrong, you'll n- look at my roommate and I and know immediately we're not suspects. And you'll know immediately you need to follow the Constitution. So, go back to the sheriff, do what you have to do to get an appropriate warrant, and come back here. And if I have to call into work because you interrupted my sleep, I will get an attorney. But, unfortunately, hindsight's twenty twenty, especially when your emotions are running high and your heart is pounding. Out of fear. Now... After asking questions and everything else, uh, th- this 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 is the part that irritates me to this day. 
And even even a friend of mine had basically said, um, "This is garbage." They could have they could have figured out that my roommate and myself were not suspects because one of the sh- there was an opening that the thief apparently managed to fit through. Well, I was much heavier then than I am now, and I don't think I would have been able to fit in this small opening even now, nor would my roommate have been able to do so. But this is, you know, another example of, you know, people lording authority over you, and I can understand fully why people are not comfortable around law enforcement. Now, this isn't to say that all law enforcement's terrible, nor is it to say that each and every cop is just, you know, a wannabe soldier. That That's not the case. Unfortunately, you're going to run into bad apples that ruin it for everybody else. And I'm sure there's plenty of, of people who have horror stories encountering law enforcement officials and realizing, oh my god, I'd rather not be in this situation. Or you get pulled over for something innocent, like, you know, a problematic light on the passenger side rear of your vehicle, and you're wondering if you're being detained. You know, the little little meme that's been popping up on the internet that says, you know, why did the chicken cross the road with the caption underneath, none of your damn business, am I being detained? That's what it's referencing, because unfortunately, there's been, over time, just this perception, at least, that, you know, police are becoming more and more authoritarian. Now, there's been notable exceptions in the past, but eventually, they leave the force from wherever they're at. So, that's, um, but that's uh, another topic altogether. So, why do people fear police these days? Well, the two stories that I've shared are just a couple of examples of that, and they're rather tame by, um, you know, all standards. Uh, One book that, you know, I recently acquired on Amazon for the Kindle, which I don't own a Kindle, but I own an Android phone, which has the Kindle app, and uh, thanks to Wine, I'm able to get the Windows version of the app to run on any of my computers, which is pretty cool. So I'm able to read ebooks too, from Amazon. So there's no need to spend $200 on a Kindle Fire or really any money on any of their e-readers. It's not necessary. Just for those who are, who are wondering how they can save money regarding books and ebooks and what have you. So, uh, the, and this was before we parted ways. Uh, Mitchell had uh, shot me over a link to uh, Reason Magazine. They had interviewed author Radley Balco, who wrote Rise of the Warrior Cop, The Militarization of America's Police Forces. And it, it's, a, it's a really, really good book. I... I would highly recommend people pick this thing up however they can and just start reading it because it's the boiling the frog theory. You do it slowly but surely. By the time the frog's you know almost getting ready to be cooked, it's too late. They're not going to notice and they're already dead. So this what's this book about? It's 
basically about how the, you know, pretty much the Third and Fourth Amendments have been trampled throughout the country, and it's and one presidential administration is just as complicit as others. It's it's it doesn't it's not relegated to party at all, really, unless it happens to be people on the receiving end who are of a different party and they're the party that's not in charge at the moment. So what's so great about this book? It starts out um, explaining some history going into the Roman Empire and the fall thereof, which is where the founders of the United States of America get a lot of their perspective from. Uh, They remember what it was like when the Romans were able to just have so much power through the military and recognize the dangers of that. And also, they also drew from British common law, which emphasizes dispute resolution instead of enforcing the will of the sovereign upon others. And there's also the castle doctrine, the idea that a man's home is his castle. And what that means is, say, there's an investigation. Knock, knock, knock on the door you give the person in question a chance to voluntarily open the door, answer the authority figure in question, in order to avoid a violent confrontation and property damage and all the nastiness that comes with it. And this book is explaining how, you know, collectively we're forgetting about our own past as American citizens, um, talking about certain parts of history, quartering of British troops in the home, though Balco points out that um, the actual quartering was pretty rare up to the Revolutionary War. But... The idea of general warrants that allowed for the confiscation of goods that that were broad enough to do so, as well as the idea of soldiers in the streets, people objected to, and they didn't like um, being viewed as suspicious just for gathering with a group of friends just to talk about things and what have you. You know, this is part of the whole freedom of of assembly thing, and it's and I can see how. You know, we've kind of forgotten about that, and it's, I find it very sad. And he points out the origin of SWAT. You know, we hear about SWAT teams all the time, right? Dressed up in, you know, riot gear, batons and all, you know, face shields and what have you, and tear gas and flash grenades, those sorts of things. Well, that originated from an individual named named Daryl Gates. He was trained by William Parker, who was at the time the LAPD's chief, and he was one who loathed the community policing style. And, (coughs) oh man, my throat's getting sore. Not good. Community policing style. What does that entail? It entails, instead of being inside the squad car all the time, cops would walk the beat, they would attend various meetings throughout the community, they would they would engage. They would actually engage citizens in dialogue. They would be a part of that community. Um, Parker was overreacting to corruption that had occurred before his time. Hence, that wall between the police and the community, which is part of where the whole "us versus them" mentality's been coming from. The Watts riot is what had influence on Gates himself. In order, he went through this situation and didn't like how it was going, and he figured, well, I need to come up with something in order 
to be able to uh, better handle that particular situation. So um, this event, the Watts Riots, what happened? It happened on August 11, 1965, when Highway Patrol Officer Lee Menekis was heading north on Avalon Boulevard in the Watts neighborhood. Uh, somebody had indicated to him that a 1955 Buick Special was weaving. He pulls over 21-year-old Marquette Fry, who had no driver's license, and who apparently was intoxicated, um, banner and jokes were ensuing back and forth as he was being requested to take a sobriety test, and he appeared to be ready and willing to comply until Rena Fry, his mother, berates him in front of the crowd, embarrassing him, making him angry, and then from there, a riot eventually <laughs> ensues, and it, it happened for about six days, and the big thing about this riot is that it spread beyond those boundaries when one part of the neighborhood you know calmed down violence wise it would flare up in another part thus you know making things very dangerous in a hurry so gates goes to ed davis his deputy chief and he says hey i've got an idea swat special weapons attack teams gates went to the military for advice on how to deal with situations like that. After all, it was during Vietnam, and they were dealing with guerrilla tactics. Going, how do we counter guerrilla tactics? Well, the word attack in this initial acronym uh, caused Davis to cringe, and he said, mm, let's not do that. So instead, he just slightly alters it to where it now stands for Special Weapons and Tactics and it was accepted. Unfortunately, um, SWAT teams keep increasing t kept increasing throughout the decades after that, and it really started taking off during uh, Richard Nixon's era as well. But it didn't stop with Nixon. It continued with Reagan, with Bush, Clinton, George W. Bush, and currently Obama today. And the one big thing is that both major political parties kept accusing the other of being soft on crime in the past. But there's been, you know, interesting, you know, perspectives um, reflected in Belko's book. For starters, the so-called conservative right would object to civil liberties being violated when it came to things like Ruby Ridge and Waco. But when it was the Republican Party in charge, nary a peep came out of them. This makes no sense to me, and that's why I'm a third-party person to this day, because I began to realize that it depends on who's in the Oval Office and who's mostly in charge. That That's dependent upon... that. It depends on who's in charge in those areas in order for the opposition to be determined. I can see why it's referred to as controlled opposition, unfortunately. Now, I was partially disappointed with Valko's uh, book, not not because it doesn't have uh, valuable information. It does. He he introduces some possibilities of reforms. One of them being ending the drug war, uh, having more transparency, those sorts of things. Um, he he suggests uh, reforms and saying, "Hey, we're not quite a police state yet." But 
Um, we really shouldn't be waiting until it's here to start paying attention now. The, the he he meant he mentions Ruby Ridge, Waco, the WTO protest in Seattle, um, the RNC and DNC in 2008. But the one thing he doesn't really talk about, which is which kind of struck me, because I I kind of remembered this was the RNC in New York City in 2004. Um, and that's, the, that's you know, there's plenty of pictures on that if you know where to look. Uh, if you go to 2600.com, 2600.com, and you click their uh, link for their little features, their stories, you'll notice that there's something on the Republican National Convention, their special features. And when you click RNC 2004, the title says Notes from the RNC, the 831 Experience. Um, Emmanuel Goldstein, real name Eric Corley, but he goes by the nickname Emmanuel Goldstein, straight out of the novel 1984. Um, he, he's one, one of the people that advocates advocates the idea of, you know, computer hacking as a form of curiosity, not a form of criminality. Now, he's also into independent media as well. He, uh, he's been a part of, you know, been a volunteer for independent media centers and what have you, and the indiemedia.org, in other words. So naturally, he, he's covering the demonstrations of people who don't want the Republicans in town that year in 2004. Uh, what happens is people, you know, on 16th Street, New York City, are kind of rounded up, trapped by the police, and eventually bust off to Pierce 57, which has all kinds of, you know, health hazards inside of it. It's an old abandoned bus depot. People were bound up in plastic handcuffs, and those sorts of things. And it's just, it, it, the, what had happened, the way that was handled, was not good. And I'm just going to basically skip to the end of that description, as that link will be in the show notes um, as well. Here's what Emmanuel had to say. And we'll include clips, I'll include clips of this incident, because th that alone should, you know, explain the why this these topics are very important. And he, here's what he had to say. This is kind of what happens to people who are exposed to this sort of stuff. As we all stood around in a kind of a daze for a while, I noticed a quiet calm that seemed to be spreading on the outside of the park. Others seemed to notice it at the same time. We no longer heard the helicopters and the police were starting up their cars, vans, and scooters and beginning to pull away. Bush is gone, I heard someone say. Was that really the signal for everything to go back to normal? In the hours ahead, it seemed as if the entire city was breathing a sigh of relief, and that whatever invading forces had encircled us were now finally on the retreat. There was word of an unpermitted demonstration near the garden that the police weren't taking any action against. Yes, it was really over. But of course it wasn't over for me, and I doubt for many of the others. Nearly everyone seems to have been physically sick in one way or another, from minor colds to rashes, 
fevers, and serious breathing problems. It took days of sleeping for 12 hours at a time before I even started to feel physically normal again. Everyone I've talked to has had nightmares. My initial timidness seems to have been replaced with an intense anger bordering on hatred for those who did this to innocent people. I had always respected police for the difficult job they had and for the dangers they faced, but after going through this, all I saw were mindless automatons who were simply pieces of a machine. They didn't care and they couldn't care about any of us. We were scum to them, bodies chained together being transported down endless corridors. Our pain and fear were to be ignored, and in the faces of our captors and the faces of those even associated with them, I saw a smug self-righteousness that filled me with contempt. Somewhere inside of me I know that this isn't right, but I have yet to be able to flush these feelings, and I wonder if I'll ever not experience a degree of fear whenever I see a cop. I don't even know where to start on that healing process. What I do know is that the people around me matter a whole lot more than I ever imagined. My friends on the outside, the people I met on the inside, they are the ones who helped me get through this, and if there's anything positive to come out of it all, this is that realization. So much gets overlooked in the pettiness of our everyday lives, and so much is forgotten as time goes on. I hope to be able to appreciate individuals more and never take any of them for granted. I can only pray that what happened on August 31st was a mistake that will never be repeated. But I can't say I'm optimistic. With the mayor saying the police did an A-plus job and the mass media beginning to mock the experiences we went through, if this is indeed the beginning of a trend, then this episode will represent a big step in the decline of our freedom. These sweeps will become commonplace in the name of security. People will be held without charges for days. The suspension of rights now used on enemy combatants will begin to be applied in other areas whenever national security can be even peripherally invoked. We could all wind up paying a very heavy price for our complacency. That's why if there's to be any hope at all, we have to care and we have to get through to others. That's the purpose of my telling the story, and I hope it manages to open some eyes. I remembered seeing videos pop up. This is this is before YouTube became really popular, and I was it it just oh my goodness, I I remember that, and I would have hoped that something like this would appear would have appeared in Balfour's book, but it didn't for some reason. But that's okay, because a link to this will be included in the show notes for this episode. And what will happen is I'm going to seek some feedback from all of you. Because I gave personal stories uh, for, you know, encounters with various authority figures and what have you. I want to know what stuff you've been through regarding it. So here's the thing. If you want to have your story shared, all you have to do is call 660 660- Four seven four zero three four five six six zero four seven four zero three four five. When you dial, just let it ring, and then when it when it gives you the prompt, uh, 
you'll be able to just leave a message and basically just tell your story. I want to hear your story on encounters with the police. Good, bad, and different. Because not all of them can not all of them are gonna be bad, I'm sure, but there are some that just you know, where you ask, okay, is this really a good thing? Um, you know, this and the thing is this this stuff has been happening ever since at least going back to Reagan. No, not Reagan, Nixon. Reagan intensified it and it kept going and going and it hasn't stopped. And the reason why we need to start paying attention is because Posse Comitatus is gone, the Posse Comitatus Act. It's been basically trashed and destroyed. Uh, Local sheriffs, in some cases, aren't respected by federal officials and what have you. There are some sheriffs left that say, hey, you need to respect our jurisdiction, but that doesn't always occur. That doesn't always happen, unfortunately. So it's very important to pay attention to something like this because of federal grants on the highest level, it trickles down. When you have um, you know, military equipment that's been battle-tested showing up in the hands of local law enforcement, you start to get the picture of, uh, what are we doing? Why are we training policemen to be quote-unquote soldiers? And, and people that Balco has interviewed in his book have indicated that they don't like the phrase militarization of the police. Not because you know what he's saying isn't true, but because soldiers in the military apparently have more discipline than some of the cops. Though, in all fairness, the military has made mistakes before. After all, we're all human. So, it's just, I don't know. I just don't like the idea of not feeling safe when an officer is walking down the same sidewalk I am. And I remember those those two times. They, they're kind of burned in my mind. Um, I And don't get me wrong, I've encountered cops who are very nice, genuine people who... Who just have a job to do and are and actually do engage people in conversation and you know and what have you. But at the end of the day, if you don't feel safe around people who appear to be certain types of authority figures, then we've got a real problem. Um, I encourage people to uh, check out Balco's book. Again, it's called "Rise of the Warrior Cop: The Militarization of America's Police Forces." If you go to 2600.com, that's 2600.com, you click Special Features and then RNC 2004. Uh, they also have audio, video to supplement uh, that the understanding of that particular event. I feel that that is a very important thing to look at because you had people in plastic handcuffs, people were taken down to an old abandoned bus depot, Pier 57, where there was, you know, lots of buildup from chemicals and stuff. Hence the uh, health issues that that uh, Emmanuel Goldstein mentioned at the end of this, him relaying the story. I highly recommend reading the whole story because it it was just mind-boggling. Anyway, 
Uh, for now, check out the website at thenextreport.com, uh, where you'll see our social networking bar, the social networking bar at the top. And just to give people a heads up, I will be redoing the website in the coming days, so uh, stay tuned. And not to worry, I'll have all the old episodes archived. That way you can grab them, and there will be the show notes to go along with them. That way, any t- that way, in case you don't know what references are being made, oh, here's the notes right beside it, and you'll, you'll be able to go to the relevant links in question. Anyway. Uh, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself, and I'm going to leave you with two clips. The first one being Emmanuel Goldstein reporting to WBAI in New York City on what was happening at the time, as well as when the people were trapped in Pier 57 by law enforcement due to the fear that the demonstrators would be doing something oh so horrible to the GOP delegates and what have you. So, uh, here are the two clips. And when Bill Clinton in his 1992 presidential campaign faced a critical cash problem. We are going to break in here for just a minute for some breaking news. Uh, David Ocuto. We'll be speaking with Emmanuel Goldstein. Yes, we've got uh, lots of reports from police actions, police uh, melees, so to speak, throughout town. Emmanuel, are you with us? Yeah, I am right now. Uh, What happened was about 45 minutes ago, a boisterous crowd of a few hundred people broke away from Union Square and started marching down 16th Street, apparently catching the cops uh, unawares. Uh, They scrambled, set up a bunch of motorcycles to block the road, uh, and then they proceeded to pin everybody in, including those people like me who were on the sidewalk. Uh, we were given no opportunity to leave. Uh, they shouted obscenities at us uh, for not leaving when we had tents, uh, whatever that was. Uh, when I showed them my uh, indie media press credentials, they, they said that's not press, that's not media. And they've been jumping into the crowd, grabbing people at random, it seems, throwing them face down on the ground, people who are not resisting, and hauling them away. And right now, there are hundreds of us uh, just waiting uh, for whatever happens next. Uh, Emmanuel, what street, what corner are you on? on your this is on 16th Street, just of Union Square. And are you essentially pens? Can you move, uh, get out of that area? I have, I have tried to leave several times. I've said on media, I have, I have uh, a video camera, I have a tape recorder, I have credentials, indie media credentials. Uh, they say none of that is valid, and I have to stay here. Basically, I'm being held hostage. I'm walking down the city sidewalk, uh, being told that I can't leave and that I have to be arrested now because I'm on this sidewalk. I never even set foot into the street. That's, that's the incredible part. Could you take a guess as to how many people are entrapped at this point? Um, it's hard to say because they force us all to sit down. Of course, I don't know what would happen if I disobeyed them at this point. <laughs> but they, they're, they're asking us all to sit down, or telling us rather to sit down. Um, I would estimate there's several hundred people still on this block. There were many more a half hour ago. Uh, quite a few have been arrested already. I don't know what's happening anywhere else. They've done a good job of isolating us. Yeah, I've gotten reports in the newsroom at Herald Square. Numbers of people have been pepper sprayed 
and put into police vans at this moment at Herald Square. Has, been, has there been use of any pepper spray or anything else where you are? Yes, we have pepper spray on the south side of the street. I'm on the north side of the street, so I'm fairly lucky. But they were using pepper spray. And it was very bizarre. There was one, uh, one person with a Dick Cheney mask. The police lunged at him and apparently were just going to throw him down, too. Uh, but a bunch of protesters surrounded him and said that he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just standing there. And I guess the sheer mass of people uh, who were doing that uh, were, was enough to get the cops to back off. Uh, so he was, uh, he was very surprised and grateful that that happened. Of course, it may just be a temporary reprieve. Uh, we're all still here. And uh, are, are you being guarded by numerous police or res restrained by uh, physical barriers? We're being restrained by physical police right now. They're surrounding us on all corners. They're even up on top of the buildings. I don't know what they think we're going to do, if we're going to fly out of here or something, but they're looking down on us. Um, basically, this is a complete overreaction to a situation of people simply walking down the street. Uh, people would have dispersed normally, and, and the street is completely blocked off now because of all the police. I, I don't understand the mentality behind this at all. Uh, it was just kind of a, a celebration, people chanting and the drums beating, and uh, reporters running alongside recording it all. And then all of a sudden, they just um, they just decided to do this to us. I, I don't understand it. Do you have any legal observers in on site? Um, I don't see the uh, fluorescent green hats. I'm sure they're around someplace. Uh, I'm, I'm confident we'll be looked after, and there's a lot of friendly people here, so I'm not worried about that. I am worried about being grabbed and, and thrown face first down on the ground. That's not very nice. I don't know why they're doing that. There's no reason to. Yes, and are you uh, able to just have any kind of communication with any of the officers there? Is, is there any way to open up dialogue at all? They just basically stare straight ahead. A number of people have tried to engage them in dialogue, but the most they'll say is that they're just following orders. I don't think it's the exact word, but uh, that's pretty much the mindset of what they're saying right now, uh, that they're just doing what they're told to do. The thing is, you know, they, they look rather friendly when they're just staring at you, but when they go into motion, all of a sudden something comes over them and they just kind of, uh, they, they just get really, really aggressive. They grab people, they, they throw them down. Uh, it's a real transition and very frightening to see. And are there any injuries at this point? You said some people have been handled rather uh, terribly at this point. Do you know if anybody's in need of medical attention? I can't imagine people not being injured after seeing what happened to them. Of course, once they're injured, they're taken away, so I don't know how badly they're injured. But it didn't look very good. They're surrounded by police when they're thrown to the ground, and then um, we don't see them anymore after that. Oh, so they are taken, and you don't know if they're being taken to medical, uh, uh, any kind of ambulance. They're just put in, in the police vans, as far as you could tell. I haven't seen what they're being taken away in. As far as I know, they're being hustled down to the end of the block, and then something happens to them there. That's out of our sight. Yeah, in Herald Square, there the pepper-sprayed victims are being placed in the vans without any water, so whatever water the, the folks who are being uh, placed in the vans may have is all they have with them. Is there anyone else there or anything you would like to add at this point? Uh, just that uh, there's a lot of people here, and we could really use support, I guess, uh, from the rest of the city. Uh, these people weren't doing anything. They were simply marching down the street, chanting, banging drums. It was no big deal. And I, I, really, I was thinking the police were doing a good job uh, making the situation go peacefully. They were up until that point for the most part. 
But this is a complete overreaction. A complete overreaction, and I don't know what they hope to gain from it. They've blocked the traffic far worse than, than the demonstrators ever could have. They've scared a lot of people. They're going to be uh, uh, processing hundreds and hundreds of people for many hours to come. Yes. It's, it makes no sense. Well, yeah, you can only surmise that it's just intimidation and harassment because I think they do realize that there are very many people who are willing to get as close as they could possibly get to the Garden to express their outrage at this situation that the Republicans have imposed on the city and the country and the world. So it's it's I think we can read as to why it's happening. The question is, why aren't there enough officers who will see through it and be more uh, in a human fashion responding to the protesters? Is there anyone else that you would like to get on the phone, or should we sign off right now, Emmanuel? Um, I think I, I, I probably should go. I don't, I don't really know any of these people, um, and they all seem to be rather uh, concerned with their well-being right now. I don't want to uh, burden them any further by putting them on a radio station, but uh, I'll try to stay in touch. I have... Uh, Two phones. One of them I'm, I'm I'm hiding on my person, so hopefully they won't find that one. Okay. And I'll try to continue to communicate throughout the night if it's possible. Okay, great. You have the newsroom number, correct? Uh, oh, I oh. don't, but Max can probably give it to me. Okay, great. Hold, hang on, Emmanuel, and we'll sign off. But we'll stay on. We'll speak to you off air. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, thank you, and stay tuned for more breaking news. Uh, we just heard from Amy Goodman closer to Madison Square Garden, and we're going to try to get her on the line in just a moment. In the meantime, we're going to return to uh, uh, Ralph Schoenman and Maya Schoen, and uh, stay tuned for breaking developments here on WBAI. Uh, Stevens had been supporting Bill Clinton as governor. And when Bill Clinton, in his 1992 presidential campaign, faced a critical cash problem... Nearly 1,000 demonstrators were arrested yesterday during a series of protests in New York City on the second day of the Republican National Convention, with more protests planned for today. Police say a total of 970 people were arrested Tuesday and more than 1,500 people have been arrested at convention-related protests since late last week. Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly said the city's police officers have shown great restraint in the face of relentless provocation. To the protesters, it's Guantanamo on the Hudson. The dilapidated hulking pier on the Hudson River in Manhattan has become a landmark of sorts in the clash between activists and authorities at the Republican National Convention. Some protesters have complained bitterly about conditions at the temporary holding area set up by police at Pier 57 in Chelsea for processing convention-related arrests. One former detainee, Andrew Lynn, claimed he was held there for hours on end in Guantanamo-style pens, a reference to the U.S. military facility in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Police officials insist their post-arrest screening site allows them to safely and promptly process mass arrests and avoid overwhelming neighborhood station houses. Commissioner Ray Kelly has dismissed complaints about conditions, including questions about asbestos. He said testing done Monday night found no problems with air quality. At a news conference Tuesday outside the holding facility, civil rights lawyer Norman Siegel and transportation union officials raised concerns about possible asbestos contamination there and complained that people were being held too long. 
Among the thousand or so people arrested yesterday was WBAI program host and producer Emmanuel Goldstein, who was taking pictures at Union Square early last night when he was grabbed by police and taken to the now notorious holding pen on the west side of Manhattan. Earlier today, we received a telephone call from Goldstein after he was transferred to the tombs, where he remains at this hour. Goldstein spoke with WBAI's Jose Santiago. I was uh, standing on the sidewalk uh, filming a bunch of people running down the street, and uh, we were given no opportunity to leave. Uh, basically, the corporate media was allowed to leave. Anyone with New York City police press passes, press passes could leave, but... Um, BAI press credentials were not considered real, according to the police. Um, they then took us to the 57th, uh, Pier 57, um, which was um, not such a bad experience. It, it lasted all night long. We had about a 1,000 people there. Uh, it was uh, almost a festive mood. Uh, and that, um, that pretty much changed when they took us down here uh, to the tombs, uh, where they've just been transferring us all over the building. Uh, not nearly as nice to us. The spirits of people are, are generally generally going down. Uh, one of the high points was hearing uh, people in the park across the street um, singing and chanting. We could hear that from the windows, and that really made a big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, now, why did they arrest you? Uh, have you been charged with anything? We haven't even been told we're under arrest yet. They haven't they haven't read us our rights. They haven't said we're under arrest. We, they haven't told us anything. Uh, we've had no access to lawyers. Uh, this, this payphone happens to be in the cell where we've just been calling people to try to find out what's happening on the outside to let people know what's happening to us. Um, but I, I can't imagine what they're going to charge me with since I was standing on a sidewalk watching something happen in front of me and was given no opportunity to leave. Even when I asked to leave, they, they wouldn't let me. So uh, obstructing a sidewalk seems to be a charge that uh, should be laid on the police, not the people. I see. Now, uh, we've had a, a lot of reports from people who have been held at, at a peer facility, a, a converted uh, bus depot, a terminal of some sort, uh, that uh, it's very toxic in there, that there's a lot of chemicals spilled on the ground, and uh, some people actually have been taken out and taken to the hospital because they become sick from it. Uh, what was your experience there? I saw one person who was passed out on the ground uh, when I came in. I wasn't able to find out what her condition was. Uh, I do know that a lot of people were complaining about feeling sick as a result of the fumes. I didn't feel anything myself, although uh, it was an incredibly messy place. Uh, just sitting on the floor, uh, your hands would turn all different colors. Uh, it's obviously not a place meant to hold large numbers of people. I can't imagine what kinds of things were stored there or how safe the place might be. Um, with, with any chairs or cots or any way to, to, to be there without no, sitting no. on the floor? It was, it was a huge pen, uh, a series of pens, actually. The one, one rather large pen that could hold uh, close to a 1,000 people and then a series of uh, four pens on either side, about eight more pens altogether where they separated the males and the females later on for processing. But in none of those were, was there a place to for anybody to sleep. Uh, yeah. You had to squat on the floor as best you could do. Now, the demonstration where you were, uh, what was that demonstration? What was? Well, it's a weird uh, thing because I was in Union Square. Everything was very peaceful. A lot of people just uh, talking and, and arguing and, and uh, holding up banners and things like that. Uh, and all of a sudden, I saw a group of people, maybe about um, 40, 50 people, just run towards 16th Street. Uh, so I, I was filming that and recording that, and the odd thing was that they would have been through that street in a few seconds and probably would have dispersed shortly afterwards. 
Uh, instead, what happened, the police um, jumped in front with their scooters blocking the street and then blocked them from the other end, including the sidewalk. They used the orange netting to keep people from moving uh, any any direction, and they announced that only uh, the, uh, the the police registered media would be allowed to leave. And when I when I showed them my credentials, they they said you're not media, and basically told me to get the hell back. Wow. Uh, now, uh, what do you anticipate will happen? What do you want uh, to happen for you and those who are with you at this point? Well, I think what we'd all like to have is some kind of legal representation, some kind of knowledge as to what's going on here. We haven't heard a single word from anybody. We haven't been given access to anything. Uh, we don't know what the next step is going to be. We keep being told that we're going to see a judge, but uh, some people tell us we'll be here for another day. Some people tell us we'll be out in a couple of hours. We don't know what's going on. And you've been there how long now? Uh, we've been here since, uh, I think, around 8 or 9 o'clock yesterday evening. Not here, but we're at the pier, and now we're at the tombs. Um, and we've been traveling around on buses and uh, walking up and down the staircases here. And I have to say, you know, watching watching this whole operation, it's a wonder they get anything done. Uh, the way that they are constantly losing things and telling people to go to the wrong places and forgetting who you are, forgetting where you are. Uh, I don't know how they deal with uh, with this on a regular basis. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of the uh, physical condition uh, and and whether or not people are getting things they need, such as water, food, etc.? Well, they've given us uh, cereal, breakfast cereal. I've had three boxes of breakfast cereal, you know, those little kid-sized ones uh, since I got here, which is nice, but it really isn't enough to, uh, to sustain you. And there's lukewarm water floating around occasionally, uh, which which you can get to. Uh, but the the bathroom conditions are atrocious. You have to use the bathroom in front of everybody. Uh, no walls or even a separate room or anything like that. And um, people people are are pretty much getting sick of it. Uh, some people need to to get access to medications. Some people need to uh, be other places. The majority of these people were not even part of the protest. They were simply swept up in, in, in a massive raid of, of just anybody who was on the street. Emmanuel Goldstein is a WBAI producer and host of Off the Hook, a program that focuses on advances in computer technology. Goldstein was arrested last night in an apparent police sweep of protesters near Union Square. He was interviewed by WBAI's Jose Santiago.